Glory to God. Well, last week we were in the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be kind of all over the place here today. We'll see how we do with getting, getting through it all. There was a story of a rich man who had determined to take his wealth with him, and he told his wife to get all his money together and put it in a sack and then hang the sack in the attic. And he thought that as he died, his spirit as it went up, he would be able to grab the sack on the way up and take all of his money to heaven. Well, the day came and the man died at home. And uh, as, as he died, his wife quickly ran upstairs into the attic to see if the sack of money was still there. And sure enough, the sack of money was still there. She said, mm, I knew I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> well, sometimes our misunderstanding of things causes some funny reactions and some funny directions in our life. We've been talking about the will of God. Today we want to talk about praying for God's will. Knowing what the will of God is and praying for it. Not being misunderstood as to what the will of God is, but to know what the, what the will of God is for our life. There's a number of different prayers, and we're actually merging here this morning some things from Wednesday night as well as some things from here uh, on Sunday mornings. And we've talked a number of times about praying in faith. We pray in faith when we know the will of God. If when, when we know the will of God, we can make a prayer of faith. And we should pursue this type of prayer. I should know what the will of God is in the situation and pray the prayer of faith for that. We know that it is for us. Or if it, is, if it is for us, we are in faith about it. Because I know it's for us. If it's for another, if I'm praying for myself, then we're in faith about it. It's, it's easy for me to, to be in faith about something that's for me. That's, I'm the one that has to be in faith. If it's for another, if I'm praying for another believer, they have to be in faith about it. I've got to make sure that they're in a, that place as we pray together. We can pray in agreement. If it's for another unbeliever, we are in, we're the one in faith and in line with the Word of God. We have to make sure that we are the one that's in faith and make sure that the prayer that we're praying is in line with the Word of God. You cannot pray for an unbeliever the same things you would pray for a believer. But the Word of God clearly outlines what can we, we can pray and so forth. And we've covered these things before. But what do we do when the will of God is not known? How many times have you run into a place where the Word of God did not spell it out for you? And this is the area we want to get into here today. What do we do when, we, when it's not known? Why is the will of God unknown? There's two reasons for why the will of God would not be known. One is ignorance. I don't know what the Word has revealed on the topic. Well, that could be cured. You just go back to the Word of God and find out what the Word of God has revealed about it. But there's also the unrevealed. God hasn't shown me His will in this yet. I haven't pursued him on it yet. Whatever it is, it's not revealed yet. Either it is revealed in his word or it's something that has not been revealed to me yet and I need to dig into the, uh, pursue into God to find out what the will of God is on this. So there's sometimes when we're praying in uncertainty. Well, the rules that govern praying in faith are, are different from the rules that govern praying in uncertainty. When I'm praying in uncertainty, I can't be praying by the rules of faith. It doesn't work that way. I don't know what the will of God is. When we don't know the will of God, but we pray for something anyway, we set ourselves up for a faith failure. And this is what a lot of Christians do. I don't know what the will of God is on this. I really, don't really have time to cure ignorance. I don't really want to press into God to find out what He has revealed, what He'll reveal to me for the thing. So I'll just pray whatever comes to mind or whatever seems good at the time, and, and we'll just go ahead with that. Well, that's just setting you up for a faith failure. You wouldn't do this to your car. How many times have you, you know, your car maybe didn't start up? Well, I'll just change this. I'll just pull this off. I'll just No, you wouldn't do that, would you? Because you don't know what's going on with it. You just pull something here and replace something there or change something there or rewire this. You know you're going to be in all kinds of trouble. But in the area of prayer, we'll do that. Well, maybe this will work. And we'll just throw this in there and see if it, see if it has a good result. Well, many times Christians do this out of desperation. And there's some times in the Word we saw this. We're not going to get into all of these, but Adam and Eve suddenly became desperate for something they didn't have. Serpent came to him and says, Ah, you don't have the knowledge of good and evil, and God's keeping this from you. Oh, they became desperate for it. Abraham in, in Egypt, he became desperate for his life. He thought his life was in danger. Israel at the Red Sea and Sinai, both times... They were desperate. Red Sea, they thought they were going to die, that the Egyptian army was going to kill them. At Sinai, they were desperate because they thought they had no leader. Israel, when they were asking for a king, we want a king like other nations. They were desperate to become like other nations. 
And these are not good things. When you are in a place of desperation, you are in a place of, of potential failure. If you make decisions based on desperation, you are, in, you are setting yourself up for failure. You don't want to do it. Desperate folks make wrong decisions. And God doesn't move by desperation. God moves by, by, uh, by faith. He moves by his certainty of his will. He has ways of going, but people all the time, they get desperate and they just make a move. I just, well, I'll just try that. I'll just pull this wire. See if this does it. We'll just change this hose. We'll just put this in the gas tank instead and see if this helps it out. No, we don't do those kind of things. But this is what we do. We've got a couple of uh, instances here we want to take a look at this. But you'll see this even today. Most of the trouble that our nation is in is because we made moves at a desperation. You cannot make moves at a desperation and then expect those moves to be good. We can go back, you know, we can go back a whole not, a lot of years, just go back a number of years before when the health care bill was passed, passed. How many times it was desperate. If we don't do this now, we got we to gotta do it now. We've we got to do it now. We've got to pass it now so we can find out what's in it, uh, Pelosi would say. We've got to pass it now. We've got to do this now. And then we passed and we found out all kinds of trouble was in it. We, we can't do that. We passed stimulus one. Trillions of dollars being spent. And it was going to be spent on certain things and it ended up not being spent on those things. Some of it was even spent on money to run guns. And people end up getting killed out of that. Desperation. We've got to pass this now. If we don't pass this now, the economy is going to collapse. So they passed it. Then we came up with stimulus two. Well, we've got to pass this. We don't pass this and this isn't going to happen. We've got to rebuild bridges and roads and all this sort of stuff. And then they passed that and now we find out all these bridges and roads still need to be fixed. What happened to the ones that were going to fix before? See, desperation. In desperation, you can get anything passed. Well, we'll go ahead and do this because we're, we're desperate. We need to do this thing. Now they're out there pet, uh, putting on stimulus three. In fact, at one point, they were even talking about this. Uh, bridges around, all around the country are going to collapse. Well, it turned out the fact that they were using about the bridges, they're trying to get desperation, trying to get people being desperate. The, the facts they had about the bridges, I mean, the regular press even checked out some of these figures and found out there weren't 153 bridges that were about ready to collapse. The number was way exaggerated. And some of the bridges that were in the list, there was a, uh, uh, one of them that it was a two-lane bridge. Well, it needed to be a four-lane bridge. But it was perfectly fine. So they're going to build another two-lane bridge over here and keep this two-lane bridge going, have this one be one way and that one be one way, and that's what they're going to do. But it was put in the list of desperation. My thought is, if you, if you have 153 bridges that are on the verge of collapse, why don't you close them? Why are you still letting people drive over them? But you see, that's not, that's, we're not supposed to think logically like that. We're desperate. We've got to pass this stuff. If we don't pass this, then in this, the stimulus number three that they're trying to get through here now, I saw somebody did some of the figures on it, and, it, and I, I wanted to... Look at this. So I had the exact one. It was somewhere right around this ballpark for the number of permanent jobs that the creators of the bill, $16 million per permanent job. Can you imagine spending $16 million per permanent job? Why don't we just give the money away? $500 billion going out to a company that apparently didn't do anything with it. Or $500 million. Can you imagine having $500 million given to you $500 million given to you, and you go bankrupt. And then to add insult to injury, they just gave two other companies a billion dollars, $500 million apiece, solar companies. Just did it again. Just spending desperation. We're desperate. We've got to do something. We've got to, we've got to help this thing along. Desperation, folks, leads to bad decisions. Have you ever taken a job out of desperation? It didn't work out so well. Desperation does not help us. We cannot get into that place of desperation. I want you to look at two stories here. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth -Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. Hmm. People were distressed. 
Then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over to the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered, scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, that I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. You see, when you get into a desperate place, you will feel compelled. And you'll do things because you are compelled, not led. There is a difference between doing things because you are led and doing things because you are compelled. One will get you in trouble. One will take you in the direction of the Holy Spirit. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Desperation leads to bad decisions. It does not lead. Desperation is not an environment where we will pursue what the Lord wants to do. If we get ourselves into a place of desperation or if I believe that the situation is desperate. I will not take the time to pursue what God has to say on it. I will not find the leading of the Holy Spirit. I will just do. I will just act. I will just move in a direction. And it's generally wrong. It was for Saul here. Samuel even said, you have done foolishly. But he was compelled because of the situation around him. Who was leaving? Who was coming? Samuel hadn't arrived. Second Samuel chapter 24 verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now, understand the Hebrew mind here. When, when they did not see God as stopping something, they saw God as encouraging it. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people... A hundred times more than they are, and may the eyes of my Lord the King see it. But why does my Lord the King desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. Now, this didn't go well for Israel. This was a bad thing, and David was given three choices as to what the punishment would be. But you'll see that somehow David got into a place of being desperate. I've got to know what the number of people of Israel is. There was no need. But he still moved himself to a place of desperation. Joab, not the most spiritual of people in the world, even told him, this is wrong. Don't do it. No, no, no. We're going to do it. I'm the king. Go out there and do it. Get it done. And so they did. And they got themselves into trouble. Half of the disciples, after Jesus died, they said, what did they say? Well, let's go fishing. Why? Are they being led by the Spirit of God to do that? No, they're desperate. What else have we got to do? Jesus is dead. I guess it's go fishing. That's what we did before. Urgency, get this down, understand this. Urgency is the tool of deceivers to move possessors into willingly giving up their possessions. Urgency is the tool of deceivers to move possessors into willingly giving up their possessions. That's what urgency does. It's used by deceivers. Satan is certainly a deceiver. There are many other deceivers beside him. When the thing of urgency comes, it is to get you to make a decision to take what you have and give it to someone else. We've already looked at some things the government does, politicians try and do. How about the infomercials? If you act in the next 10 minutes, how many times have you heard that? Why? They're trying to get an urgency on you. Because if they get an urgency on you, then they can get you, the possessors of the money they want, to give it to them. Now, sometimes those infomercials, you buy the thing and it doesn't quite work the way it was supposed to. It's not quite as non-stick. 
It's not quite as cutting everything. It's not quite as durable. It's not quite as fantastic. And so you used it for a week and then it went back on the shelf and you didn't use it anymore because it just wasn't what it looked like in the, com- I mean, in the commercial. Wow, I could save all kinds of time. But when you got it home and you actually used it, it just didn't work that way because they set it up in such a way as to deceive you into thinking that it will be better than it is. Because if they deceive you to think that it's better, then you will give up what you have. This is what deceivers do. Urgency is the tool of deceivers to move possessors into willingly giving up their possessions. We are not certain what to pray for. It is not time to pray and ask for anything. We are not certain what to pray for. It is not time to pray and ask for anything. Just sit back and wait. Just hold up. If we get caught up in the urgency, we will get caught up in a bad decision. Don't get caught up in urgency. Sit back and wait. Father God, I thank you that you helped me on this. Brother Hagin used to teach us before. He said, he would always say, it is best not to miss God. He said, but if I'm going to miss it, I would rather get behind God than ahead of him. If you get behind God, you can still see where he is. If you get out ahead of him, you can totally lose sight. Don't get ahead of God. Well, we can keep on going through the Bible and look at other instances too, but we want to go on here. So we have praying in faith, praying with uncertainty, but we want to get to a place where we understand what praying in the Spirit is. We were talking about this a little bit on Wednesday night, and I had every intention to get into this on the Wednesday coming up. But I see where it ties into this part of here on Sunday as I was praying here this morning on this, and uh, some things dropped in to me for you in this topic of knowing the will of God. How do we pray to get God's will? In Romans chapter 1, verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now, at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Look at what he says. Making request in prayer, so he's making a request to God. If by some means, now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So I want to find a way. That's his desire. I want to find a way to come to you, but I want to find a way in the will of God. Can you see how a person can get desperate to find a way to come to them and make a bad mistake? But he's not. said, I want, I, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. But I'm making my request to God to find a way in the will of God that I can come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. For they're in the book in chapter 15, verse 30 of Romans. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. Paul refused to become desperate for anything. He, he, he taught us already, we looked at it last week, how he was content in, in things the way that they, they were, that he didn't become desperate even though he was hungry, even though other things were going on. Here are some things we do. First of all, you want to find out what the will of God is. First of all, make sure it is not a matter settled in the Word. If you want to pray to find out the will of God, if I'm going to make a prayer to find out what the will of God is for a particular situation, the first thing I have to do is to make sure it is not a matter settled in the Word. If it is a matter settled in the Word of God and you pray to find out what the will of God is, you are in disobedience and you will be set up to be misled. Don't ever do that. Luke chapter 7, verse 29 through 30. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers reject the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The Pharisees and lawyers reject the will of God for themselves. Make sure you do not reject the will of God. Remember with the story of Balaam. Balaam had God's word on the subject, don't go. But he pressed in after that. 
And uh, we don't know all the things that went on in that prayer, but we do know the end result was God was upset that he got deceived and he went. First Peter 3, verse 17, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If it is the will of God. It is not always the will of God to suffer. But if it is the will of God, make sure you're suffering for doing good other than doing evil. Make sure, make sure that the matter is settled in the Word. If it's settled in the Word, if the Word says, Thou shalt, or thou shalt not, or do this, or go here, then do what it says. Don't ever pray about something that's already settled in the Word of God. If you get past that first, that first part, here's the second part. Seek the counsel of other mature Christians. Now, I already gave you a page and a half of, of notes, so I, I left out some stuff on this, but you retold on these things before. You can probably go back and get some of these. There's wisdom in, in counsel. Go out there and find some people more mature than yourself and talk to them about it. Ask them. What do you think about this? First of all, I check it out with the Word of God. If I check it out there as far as I know, go talk to another believer who's more mature. What do you think about me praying for this thing over here? What do you think about me asking God about this over here? And see what they have to say. Third, ask God. Now you come to the place where you begin to ask God. But you see, that's not the first thing you do. If I don't know the will of God on the subject, I first seek the Word. I then seek the counsel of other folks. Make sure that I'm not going to be misled. Then I go to prayer to God to find out. If I miss this up and do this first, I am set up to be deceived. And the Word of God has stories about people who were deceived, who sought after, is this the will of God, when they knew it was not. Romans 1, verse 10. Pull that up on the screen if you would. Making request, if by some means now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Now this is going to go back to what Paul has said, but look at what he's saying here. Making request, if by some means now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. He's not coming to God with a preconceived idea. He's coming to God saying, within your will, I want to be able to do this. But I want to stay within your will. So you tell me when it's okay for me to go. Now, how should we pray? Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now look at His role. He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. If we can tap into the Spirit to help us in our prayers, then we also will pray according to the will of God. Not according to our will, but according to His. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He prayed for them that they would stand complete in all the will of God. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. That last verse is what I want you to see. That he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. It is easy for believers who do not follow the pattern, we already laid out with you, one, two, and three, do not follow that pattern to fall into following after the lust of their flesh, thinking it is spirit. It is really easy for that to happen. You've got to make sure you stay within the order. Does the Word of God tell me what I should do on this? If it does, stay with what the Word of God says. I may not like what it says. I may not want to do it. But see, that's my flesh. My flesh says, oh, no, no, let's not do that. That's my flesh. If I follow that and I say, let me just ask God if I can do this, I'm being led by my flesh. And that's why you get yourself into trouble. If I don't go to the second step asking other people about the thing. I'm allowing my flesh to step up. Well, I don't want to get anybody else involved. I don't need to hear. I mean, the Spirit of God talks to me. That's following your flesh. It's not following the Spirit. Word of God says there's wisdom and counselors. Get out there and get some good counselors. Good people you can talk to in the, in the thing. That no longer, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh 
for the lust of men, but for the will of God. There is a difference between the will of God and what your flesh wants. And just because you got born again, and just because you may have born again flesh lust, doesn't mean that they're spirit ones. And yeah, you can have born again flesh lust, because just because your flesh wants to do it, is what he's saying. Your flesh may want to, you know, you may get your, your flesh all, all spiritualized and sounding good and all that. And your flesh wants to do certain things that, oh, they sound good and they, they look righteous, they look religious. The Pharisees did things that looked religious, but they followed their flesh. They didn't follow the Spirit of God. And we can get into that as well, but don't do it. Many follow the lust of their flesh and call it the will of God, but it's not. So what is praying in the Spirit? What is praying in the Spirit? Ephesians 6, verse 18, we were looking at this on Wednesday. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying prayers and supplication in the Spirit. That's the kind of praying we need to do. Jude verse 1 and verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So we hear the, this phrase talked about in the Word of God, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we have put our own understanding of what praying in the Holy Spirit is. And not a word understanding. Now, I put this in your outline. Is this, is praying in the Spirit, just Praying in tongues. Don't answer out loud. Just you know, use your inside voice. Is praying in the Spirit just speaking in tongues? How many times have we been taught or heard messages that praying in the Spirit equals praying in tongues? You know, A equals B. Praying in the Spirit. If you see praying in the Spirit, it equals praying in tongues. Well, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant because it is a natural tendency of men to be ignorant on these things. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Now we're going to take a little time to go through this. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Let's just keep reading. We're going to come back to verse 8. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. Go back to verse 8. Now there's our list. We have nine gifts of the Spirit. What kind of gifts are they? Of the Spirit. What kind of praying are we talking about? In the Spirit. All right. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Is the word of wisdom given in tongues or English? Word of knowledge. Is that given in tongues or is it given in English? Go on to the next verse. Verse 9. To another faith by the same spirit. Is faith acted in tongues or is it acted out in English? English. To another gifts of healings. Tongues or English? Go on to the next one. Working of miracles. English, another prophecy, English, to another discerning of spirits, English, to another different kinds of tongues. <laughs> now, it could be anything. It could be heavenly tongues or it could be a tongue you don't know. It could be any of that. To another interpretation of tongues, that's going to be the language that you know. Of the gifts that are talked about in the Word of God, how many of them have to do with a language that you don't know? One out of nine. One out of nine gifts of the Spirit are in the language that you know. So why then is praying in the Spirit only done by a language you don't know? Does that make sense to you? If the, in the gifts of the Spirit, the Spirit manifests Himself 
nine different ways, and eight of those ways are done in tongues that you know, and one is done in a tongue you don't know. Then why would it be that the praying in the Spirit is all going to be done in a tongue you don't know? We need to broaden our understanding of what praying in the Spirit is. Praying in the Spirit can involve praying in tongues. But it does not just have to be praying in tongues. It can be other things as well. Here's an example. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So let's break this down. Daniel was studying the books. And all of us, and if you go back, I was going to pull this out, I didn't, but if you go back to Jeremiah, I mean, it's a piece of, when you see it, well, it says it right there. It's not like it takes great interpretation. It says it right there. But all of a sudden, Daniel was reading it, and he said, oh, this pertains to our situation. We're going to be here for 70 years. And when that dawned on him, and he saw that, when his eyes were open to it, he came into that understanding. He got out of that ignorance of not knowing how long this was going to be and came into the understanding 70 years. I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God. And he made confession... And made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant, mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. Now, just for time's sake, we're going to skip through some of this down. You can go back through and, and read some of this, but go over to verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins. For the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on the sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteousness, our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. This is what he's doing. He is presenting his supplication before the Lord, before God. He is praying to him. He saw something in the word and that spurred him to pray. But he's now praying something he does not know anything about. He just came to the revelation that 70 years are determined for your people to be in desolation. When he came to that, that, that understanding, he's praying now on a matter that he has no understanding. But he's not praying in tongues. How does he pray these things? The Spirit of God inspires his prayer. The Spirit of God leads him. In the same way, go back to the gifts of the Spirit. How do you prophesy in the gifts of the Spirit? Doesn't the Word of God come up on the inside of you and you speak it out? How do you give utterance in tongues through the gifts of the Spirit? Is it not, it's not something your head puts together, is it? It comes up in your spirit and you speak out tongues. How is it you give interpretation? It comes up in your spirit and you speak it out with your mouth. The, the tongue. How about the gift of faith? Seeing the end at the beginning. And you speak out of your mouth those things that are great things of faith. You speak them out because you saw it in the Spirit. The Spirit inspired you on that. And you can keep on going on with all these. The Spirit puts the words on the inside and we speak them out. 
But too many Christians only let the Spirit speak words of tongues. They don't let the Spirit speak words of English and inspire their prayers. But that's more of the role of the Holy Spirit in the area of the gifts. Why would it not also be more of the role of the Spirit in the area of prayer? He wants to help us in our prayers. He wants to put the prayer down on the inside. Pray this and say this. And we trust Him and we speak those things out. And I listen to the inspiration that He has. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do. The Spirit of God wants to help us out. Look at the rest of the story here. Verse 21. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening's offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for the iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be 70 weeks and 62 weeks. What he is saying is that from this point on, once the 70 years has ended, that from that point, once we have the command to build Jerusalem, until the time that the Messiah will come as king, will be 70 weeks. Now look at this. Daniel started this by praying something that he saw in the Word of God. Oh, this is the will of God. This, he didn't know what the will of God is. How long are we out here? I don't know how long we're out here. But all of a sudden, he's reading and he found out. This is the will of God. And so he immediately prayed accordingly that that was the will of God. And he let the Spirit of God inspire his prayer so much so that the prayer made into the Word of God. And he spoke the words that the Holy Spirit gave him. And that while he's still speaking, the angel came. And said, Daniel, Daniel, I have come to make you understand. Now, if you get this understanding here, in the Word of God is embedded the truth of how long Israel would be in captive. Picture the scene up in heaven. Gabriel says, I know I'm supposed to go and help somebody understand some things. When will that happen? No one's found out the verse yet. Someone will soon. And Daniel was studying, and Daniel was studying, and Daniel was studying. And probably other people were studying. But then all of a sudden, it came to Daniel. There it is. And he prayed. Up in heaven, the command is given. Gabriel, time is now. Go get him. Make him understand. The picture is this. God waited up in heaven. He's got revelation. He's got this revelation to give. I need to give it to somebody. Who can I give it to? I need to give it to the person who asks me about the 70 years. When they find it in the Word and they ask me about the 70 years, that's the one we're going to share it to. Remember, Jesus followed the same pattern. When the disciples were asked the question, Who do you say that I am? And you know, some say this, some say that. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, my Father in heaven. And from that time forward, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things at the hands of sinners and would be killed buried and raised up on the third day. But he waited until they had that revelation. When they had that revelation, then he began to share some things. God is waiting for us to see some things in Scripture. When we see them in Scripture, we take them to prayer. Father God, I see that this is your, I see that this is your will. And God says, oh, I've been waiting for you to see that in your life. Now I'm ready to give you revelation. And he comes and he gives revelation. But in the meantime, the Spirit comes in and inspires your prayers and it's good to pray in the Spirit, folks, in tongues. But it's good to pray in the Spirit by inspiration. Where, the, where He comes on the inside and He tells you things to pray. Pray this way. 
You know, we, we pray for our country. We, we can just pray generally. Well, Father God, I pray that you bless this and bless the economy and, you know, and, uh, and help us and protect us and, and all these kind of just general things. And then God wants to come to somebody and say, I need you to pray for this. There is a particular thing coming against you. There is a particular thing that I want to bless you with. I need you to pray for this, but I need someone who will see it, someone who will allow me to say it through them, someone who will listen to the inspiration that you would pray. And when people do that, Daniel is a great example. He prayed what the Spirit inspired him to pray based on the revelation he just found in the Word of God. And the angel was dispatched to come on down to him and given the uh, commandment, make him understand. <laughs> oh, wow. Make him understand. And all the stuff that Daniel got was phenomenal. Absolutely great. Now, we could spend time, we've done this in the end time series before, breaking down all these different things. Uh, from the going forth of the command to destroy, restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks making 69, and then the final 70th week is the famous tribulation period. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's the Antichrist. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, we're not going to try and get into all the things that the, that the angel tries to reveal here. We've spent time on that in the end time series and things of that that we've done. What I want you to get to see is that praying in the Spirit is more than just praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit is praying by inspiration for faith. The Spirit of God wants to come up on the inside of you and He wants to reveal some things. He's going to reveal some visions for relatives, sons and daughters. And he's going to pray this. And if we listen to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. But if we don't, then God does not have a person down here on the earth who is praying his will. He needed Daniel to see this. He needed somebody to see it. And then someone to stand up and pray. And then he poured out the, uh, the, the understanding of this thing. What are, what are the things that are going on in your life that God is waiting for you to get understanding on? Pray in line with that understanding, and allow the Holy Spirit to come up and inspire you. He will do it. He will help you. He'll do it in more than just praying time. He'll do it when you're witnessing to people, when you're sharing Jesus with people. Up in your spirit will come words of things to say and things to do. It doesn't come from your head. It comes from your spirit. It's praying in the spirit. It's speaking in the spirit. It's gifts of the spirit. Spirit will do it. It's, it's, his, it's his unction. It's his, that, his inspiration that gives it. I've noticed this a number of times. Whatever gift you get into that God has for you, there's inspiration that comes from the Holy Spirit. If you get into worship, the inspiration comes, oh, move into this song. Here's a new song. Sing this one. And he gives inspiration on that. I know it's from the area of teaching that sometimes out of my mouth comes questions I don't have the answers to. But I've learned to go ahead and speak them even though I don't have the answer. And they just go on. Sometimes we've even said this. Sometimes at the end of this, I don't tell you when it is. But sometimes at the end of the service, God will say, say this. Say you're going to get into this next week. And at first, you know, when it first started happening, I used to say, dear Lord, I don't even know what the answer to that is. <laughs> I don't even know what, I don't know what the answer to that is. I'd like to know what the answer to that thing is. Yeah, that'd be good. But I'd say it. And I wouldn't go home and get all nervous all, all week long waiting for Sunday to come. I just would sit and listen and get the inspiration. Sometimes it wouldn't be until Saturday night, Sunday morning. I'd still follow the exact same pattern I always have followed for years. I'd get here early, get the necessary things I have to do done, and then I try and make it that by a certain time, I'm on my knees just praying. All right, God, I know I did a whole lot of stuff in me about what what we want to do. What do you want to do here today? And I'll sometimes wait until then. I don't get nervous. I don't get desperate. You get desperate, you'll hear the wrong stuff. You don't get nervous. Just let the Holy Spirit come out. Sometimes I've been in a service and said something, and I'm thinking, how am I going to answer that before this is over? But up on the inside of my spirit comes the answer to the thing. 
And when I get done, I go home and check it out. Because it was new to me. That's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He will help you with your prayers. But too often we limit our prayers to what I know. Can't do that. We limit our prayers to what I know or I pray in the Holy Spirit and what I don't know. And I think those are the two areas. No, the Holy Spirit wants to get you to speak in the same way that you would prophesy to a group of people or to a person. You can prophesy, so to speak, in your prayers. You can speak inspiration in that prayer. You can let things come out and begin to pray for people, for other people. And the Holy Spirit just leads you and give you things in that area of prayer. Oh, boy, it'll be good. Paul got some inspiration in prayer that was so good, three of his prayers made it into the Word of God. Two in Ephesians and one in Colossians. Wrote the whole prayer out, made it into the Word of God. Can you imagine having a prayer that inspired? That it made it into the Word of God. Daniel's prayer made it into the Word of God. It was that inspired. We have a prayer in uh, Acts chapter 4, I believe it is. Made it into the Word of God. It was that inspired. Now look on us. Are we with boldness? <laughs> Inspired by God. Here's the thing. I can pray what I know. I can pray what I know. That's the thing we can do. And you should pray what you know. You should pray what you know of the will of God. You should pray what you know that God has taught you so far. I can pray what the Spirit reveals to me. When the Spirit of God reveals things to me, I can pray that. And I can pray in the language of the Spirit. I can pray what I know. I can pray what the Spirit reveals to me, and I can pray in the language of the Spirit. The reason that tongues is given as a prayer language is because God sometimes wants to supersede your intelligence. He wants you to be able to pray for things that are beyond what you know. And the Holy Spirit will pray through you for that. But there's no faith involved. When you pray in tongues, there's no faith involved because you don't know what you prayed. When you pray what you know, there's faith involved because I know what I'm praying. Now, here's the middle ground. When I pray in the Spirit, inspired words that the Holy Spirit gives me, I say what He tells me to say, and then I have a choice to believe them. I can believe them or I can disbelieve them. But God wants to pray some powerful things through us. Prayer time does not have to be hours. Prayer time can be short. Most of the prayers we look at in the Word of God are fairly short. Most of the time Jesus is praying, it's not real long. There are a couple of times he went off and for, for a few hours, but most of the time his prayer times were, were short prayers. God does not hear you for your much time in prayer or your many words in prayer. He hears you for your effectiveness in prayer. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, the Word of God tells us. Be effective in your prayer a whole lot better whole lot better than being long. Be effective. And the Spirit of God, if you let Him, will come up on the inside and inspire you to pray. As you learn that, because that's an easy place. There's no one around to judge you. It's just you. But as you learn how the Holy Spirit inspires you to pray in the Spirit, I can say, oh, that's the Spirit of God coming up on the inside of me. I can speak this to this person over here. I speak encouraging words. Or the Spirit of prophecy would come up on the inside of me and I would speak words of prophecy because I recognize, oh, that's the Spirit of God. Oh. But you see, if I turn off the work of the Holy Spirit to pray with the understanding in me, then I don't develop those other areas. How many times do we see people in the Old Testament who spoke words out of their mouth that ended up being prophetic. Abraham, at the sacrifice, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Did he know what he was saying? I have no idea if he knew what he was saying, but what he said was powerfully prophetic. God provided Jesus Christ as the lamb of God at the sacrifice for Abraham. He provided him a ram. The Word of God is very specific about that. How about when they, they passed blessings upon the children? They made it into the Word of God. They spoke by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When Joseph brought his two boys to his father to be blessed, he, he put them in a position so that his right hand would go on the oldest and his left hand would go on the youngest. And his father crisscrossed his arms. 
And Joseph said, no, no, no. Your right hand is on the youngest. Your left hand is on the youngest. He says, I know. I know. He will become a great nation as well. But the younger brother will supersede, will become greater than him. How do you know that? Because he let the Holy Spirit come up on the inside of him and speak words of utterance. And he will do that for you. He did it in the Old Testament. Certainly he'll do it in the New. When you are involved in a situation, don't just look to pray what you know. Look to pray what he speaks to you. Learn to listen to his voice. When you get in the prayer time before service, don't just sit there, well, Father God, I think we have a good service. I thank you that needs will be met. I thank you that the Word of God... Get in there, Father God, what are you doing? This is a new day. This is a new service. What is it that you want to do? Oh, I feel that the Holy Spirit's telling me to pray this way. And you, you pray a certain way because the Holy Spirit's... And then you see it come about in the, in the service. Or you're at home and you're praying before you go off in a day, and you feel an unction on the inside to pray for this opportunity, and lo and behold, that opportunity came up. Because you followed the leading of the Spirit, and you prayed what He gave you to pray. He wants you to speak the words that He gives, because until you speak them, they don't have any value for your life. But when you speak them, they become powerful. The story in the Daniel chapter 9 is incredible. Here was all this stuff waiting. Anyone. And when Daniel stepped up and said, Oh, I see this. And he didn't just say, Boy, that's neat. We're only, that's only going to be 70 years. He took it right to God in prayer. And he prayed what he knew. And he allowed the Spirit to inspire him to pray some other things. And the Gabriel, Gabriel was dispatched. Sent down. I've been sent cause you to understand. Understand that praying in the Spirit to get the will of God is a good thing. It's a good thing. God will show you all kinds of stuff about His will for your life. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. He wants to speak words to inspire your prayers. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't spend an hour in prayer like brother or sister so-and-so does. doesn't matter. God can do more than five minutes of effectual praying than hours of ineffectual praying. Be effective in your prayers. Be effective. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Everybody head bowed. If you're here today and you say, I don't know all that I need to know about the will of God for my life. I don't know all that I need to know about how the Holy Spirit prays through me. But I want Him to, to learn. I'm going to step out this week and allow the Holy Spirit to inspire my prayers. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak things to me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's you. Raise your hand. I need to learn more on this. Thing. I need to let the Holy Spirit speak to me and minister to me in this area. I need to speak things that are inspired in my spirit and pray them out, not just sit there and pray in tongues all the time. Praying in tongues is good. Paul said, I thank my God I pray in tongues more than all of you. It's a good thing. But he also spent time praying inspired words of prayer. Because that you can put your faith into. All right. Let's pray together. So we pray.